This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy. But you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome back, everyone, to the 199th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms and Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Most of you have your kids back at school this week. And like I talked about in last week's podcast, before you dive into this week, be kind to yourself as you enter this new year by not going full throttle right this minute. You don't have to go from the holidays to 100 miles per hour. How about slowing it down a little bit this week? Give yourself time to recover from having your teens at home or your college student back in your house. Enjoy the space, the quiet, the time. And what do you need to recover from the holidays? And I do mean recover because you have given a lot over the last month. Do you need time with friends? Do you need to journal? Do you need to be by yourself? Do you need some space? Do you need to get your house or office back in order? Make sure you give yourself some time to breathe. What have you stopped doing over the holidays that you normally do because you've been busy, like some of your normal routines? Maybe it's going to a yoga class. So give yourself a little time to know where you are. Where are you on the map? So you can become aware of how you are doing and how to get back on track. 
Besides my podcast, I have lots of other wonderful resources for you at ColleenOGrady.com. And that's two L's and two E's in my first name, Colleen. My whole website has been updated, which I'm so excited about. And one of the things I love is my new quiz called The Mom Mode. It literally will only take you a couple of minutes to fill it out, and you will get back some really, really helpful information. And it's going to cost you nothing except a few minutes. This is the perfect time of year to figure out your, quote, mom mode. And what is a mom mode? It's the way or manner you mother your teen or young adult. There are many modes, but not all of them are healthy or helpful for you or your child. Your mom mode determines how you experience your teen and your life. This two-minute quiz will give you the clarity you need to identify if your mode is giving you the results you want or if it's time to choose a new mom mode that will enhance your relationships in your life. See, moms, we can get stuck in patterns with our teen. And if that keeps repeating week after week, month after month, year after year, it just becomes how you do things. It becomes our mode of how we function as a mom. The problem is that this mode may be preventing you from enjoying your life and enjoying the teenage years and actually being effective as a mom. A lot of times we focus on what is wrong with our teen and we are so focused on how to get them to change or so worried about them that we're not aware of how we come off to our teens or how we behave, or how we act, or our own behavior. As a therapist, I see this all the time. There is the original problem, like the teen is on the phone too much, but then how we try to solve the problem, or the attempted solution to the problem, can become more of the problem than the original problem. And what that often looks like is that you get sucked into the drama storm with your teen and you lose control and you lose connection with them or you just give up or you just put your head in the sand. Moms, I want to help you dial down the drama, not stress so much, not worry so much and reconnect with your teen and get your life back. So again, go to ColleenOGrady.com, that's two L's and two E's and Colleen, and take the mom mode quiz on my homepage, and you will get your results immediately with a report, which lets you know what your strengths are, possible challenges, and what you can do about it, and some other resources. It won't cost you anything. I truly want to help serve you and help you start this year off strong. In this episode, I wanted to share a very important interview I did in 2021, and I know this topic is always top of mind for moms. In my private practice and in my programs, I frequently have parents ask me, how long should I let my teens be on the phone, and what is too much? So today, we're going to answer that question and talk about technology abuse. Do your teens suffer from technology abuse? And how would you know where your teens are in the technology use continuum? To answer these questions, I have interviewed Dr. Lisa Stroman. Dr. Lisa Stroman has widely become known for her advocacy and education around mental wellness as it relates to our digital lives. She has worked with thousands of parents, schools, and children around the globe, 
an attorney, clinical psychologist, and author, Dr. Stroman established the Digital Citizen Academy, a nonprofit program offered to schools with an in-home plan that educates, empowers, and inspires balance and pro-social use of technology. Her book, Digital Distress, Growing Up Online, was released in 2021, the first book of its kind to focus specifically on Gen Z, highlighting how children who have grown up with technology as ubiquitous as air are impacted by the challenges of growing up in a digital world. We talk about process addictions and the brain and how technology can hijack the structure of the teenage brain. We explore the behavior factors, physical symptoms, emotional symptoms, and interpersonal effects of technology abuse. We look at the alarming statistics of teens and pornography. This podcast is full of practical advice to empower parents and teens to resist technology abuse. So welcome, Dr. Lisa Stroman. I'm so glad you could make it. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. So first, the question I ask most of my guests is, do you have kids? I do. I have two children. Uh, They are just a little over 15 months apart, uh, 13 and 14. Uh, My husband and I actually did not. We waited 16 years after getting married. I was terrified I would be able to keep them safe with the field that I work (laughs) in. Um, And so I am an older mom, but very involved and engaged with my kids as a result of it. Okay, so this subject that we're talking about is really important to you, the digital world. Absolutely. Yes. I had the fortune of like starting out uh, my early career with the FBI and I was an honors intern and then became a visiting scholar. And that happened. I was in the profiling unit of the FBI and at the time, I did not have kids. This is why I waited 16 years um, because I did child, I did homicidal pedophilia. And so I saw kind of the worst of the worst wow. at that time. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's where I learned about kind of internet crimes. And it was right when the internet was really kind of had been deregulated and released into society. And they had a whole staff of like 50 um, agents that were pretending to be children online and were being really lured and groomed right off the bat when that started happening. So it was kind of like this portal that I saw in the psychology of what that did to the agents, as well as what it was doing to those children. It just really kind of morphed my career and obviously probably my parenting style on how I address and raise my kids. Oh my goodness. Yes, I can get that. Oh, I am a therapist and I spent 19 years in the University of Texas Mental Science Institute in child and adolescent psychiatry and would consult on the um, county hospitals in the teen adolescent units. So my poor daughter. God bless (laughs) you. Yeah, that's a hard, that's a hard group. (laughs) I've seen everything as you have too. So you have just written a new book and it's called Digital Distress. So can you tell me a little bit about the background of why you wrote the book? Sure. I mean, really, I was looking at what I saw was that we've got this new cohort of kids coming up, this Gen Z cohort that is really, they've grown up online. They know nothing different. And so it fundamentally has changed really who they are in our world, how they interact with people. 
how we learned, right? We had to learn steps to things, card catalogs at the libraries of, you know, you need to know how to spell a title and then look it up in the index and then go find the book. Um, they don't have any of those steps that they have to go through in life. You know, they've got Google and they've got online sources. So they're learning differently. They're interacting with the world differently. Their patience is shortened. Uh, they don't have a lot of tolerance for things that um, are irritating to them. And so it, it's it's just kind of this like general entitlement um, that I saw. And I really wanted to understand why and really explain to the readers like how that the psychology of that came to be for, for anyone that was interested. Well, I loved your book. It's full of great information. You have really practical you know, suggestions and advice for moms. So like we could talk for hours, but so let's just dive into this. So can you talk about what you mean by like process addictions and the brain? Sure. So basically when you're looking at addictions, like people think about kind of drug addiction or alcohol addiction, which is really a substance that you're adding to your body, even with a food addiction, right? So there's like a chemical interaction that occurs. A process addiction really is a behavior that you become addicted to. So probably the, the main ones are gambling addiction. People have heard about sex addiction. And now we've got this tech addiction whereby it's not a substance that we're adding in, but it definitely is a behavior and an interaction that we're getting attached to. To, and those chemical responses that we have in the brain, just like we would with alcohol or drugs, occur in these process addictions just in a different way. That's what we're talking about in the book when we're, we're speaking about process addictions. You talk about how tech can hijack the structure of the brain and the atrophy of gray matter and compromised white matter. Can you talk about that? Sure. When you when you look at the scientific, the neurochemical changes that occur, so that's that dopamine reward pathway, there's um, a neurochemical response that is actually changing the structural pattern of how we, we take information in, in, in essence. So the white matter and the gray matter of our brain are separate process, like they, they handle information to help things differently. White matter in the brain helps deliver messages. So if you touch a hot stove, your fingers are going to feel the heat, but that message which has to get to the brain to tell you to move your hand. White matter is what actually does that conductivity in the brain. It's the myelin sheath. Um, and what we find is that when you're not using neuronal pathways for a long time, there's an atrophy or it kind of breaks down, just like if you don't use a muscle. So you can see that systemically in brain scans for kids that are like gaming addiction, what they looked at. Um, and they looked at sex addiction, porn addiction online, like that they're spending this mass amount of time that they're not using that. So you see that white matter start to kind of decay away a bit. The gray matter is really kind of the part of our brain that actually um, is absolutely holding like the information and the content and where we are. And if you're not using that, right, you're spending like seven or eight hours a day, like on these kind of account kind of junk food sites of like social media or gaming or things that aren't like helping us intellectually stimulate that gray matter in our brain, the same thing happens and it deteriorates and breaks away. And you can actually see um, in scans. And I think in my first TED talk that I did, they, I showed scans of that from the Amen clinic. Daniel Amen was kind enough to pr provide us some information and some scans of that. But you can actually see like kind of like both of these areas in those scans that I presented. Yeah, that's... Use I mean, that's it or some, lose it. <laughs> right, <laughs> use it or lose yeah. it. And that, I mean, that is some evidence right there. So you, you talk about technology use continuum and you talk about kind of how that impacts different aspects 
So could you talk a little bit about what are some of the behavioral factors like when it starts to turn into abuse? What do you notice? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times like you'll see kids like either melting down, they'll start withdrawing, their behaviors change. So the behavioral issues that you're used to seeing than kind of your normal child, and this is where it gets pretty tricky for parents is that, you know, teens tend to withdraw, you know this, right? They tend to behaviorally change anyway. But when you see them actually creating kind of differences, like where they're like dropping activities or they're withdrawing into their room, they're not um, integrating with the family as much, like those behaviors that are fundamentally changing. And it's like, that's not my kid. Like I recognize that's not who I remember. And so those are some of the behavior, a few behavioral signs that you can see, but obviously we're listing more in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I hear a lot from parents. Like, I just feel like I've lost my kid. That's yeah. kind of how they say it. It's just, they're just not the same person. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and kids are sneaky and secretive nowadays. Right. So those yeah. are some of the things that I feel like we're, we're dealing with too. Yeah. So then you say there's some physical symptoms. What are some of the physical symptoms? So a lot of times we'll see like weight loss or weight gain. Um, those are kind of the key signs. Like if you've got a kid that's like really just like kind of diving into their tech um, or integrating in this online world, it's like their food patterns change. So A, they're either like grabbing kind of convenient processed junk food that can add to weight, they're exercising less, um, or they're not eating at all. So that that's probably one of the telltale signs. One of the ones that I like working with like an um, ophthalmologist is that they're seeing some convergence issues. So what we might see as parents and our kids are like, our reading skills are dropping or a teacher might come in. Well, uh, like a lot of those times, like you can go in and look at like their eyesight is changing. So reading is more difficult for them. Um, and it tends to be like where we're holding the phone or where we're looking at a device is different than our eyes being exercised, looking long distances, short distances. And so they're starting to see fundamental physical changes in, in eyesight and the ramifications of that are obviously academic. And so we don't necessarily tie those together as a parent, um, but that's what we're trying to talk about and share in the book a bit too. Yeah. I had a college guy come see me once and I don't remember which video game it was, but some video game had just come out and uh, he talked about he and his buddies like did nothing for the entire weekend except the video game. They didn't get up except to go to the bathroom. Wow. Which is better than some of the the reports that I hear out of Asia where they're actually like wearing diapers so that they don't have to leave their devices. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. That (laughs) is crazy. I thought that kid was crazy, but this is crazy. (laughs) Right. Um, I see your your beautiful plants in the background. In in this talk, we're looking at each other. (laughs) Uh, I know the listeners can't see that, but I did have a case early on where there was a parent and she could not keep her houseplant in her living room. It kept dying. And it turned out that the child was using the plant as their bathroom. So they didn't have to leave the room from their device. So like, yes, like this is the level of addiction that can occur in some of these things that again, like as a parent, you're just like, do I not know how to grow a plant or, you know, are there other things happening that, yeah. Wow. All right. What about emotional symptoms? The emotional symptoms, 
those tend to be like where you you see, this is like kind of the secret pain that parents see, but like it's unregulated. The kids, and you know, this as a therapist, but like kids are unable to be resilient. They're, they don't have any kind of grace, a lot of temper tantrums, things oftentimes can get thrown. Um, I can't tell you the amount of times I've had parents come into my practice and like, you know, some of the things I ask now are, you know, do you have, have you had any walls that are broken, hole punches, things like that? Because it's kind of like this hidden, hidden shame that they're, they're trying to protect, but that's that emotional side of kids that they're not able to stop themselves from these massive outbursts that they're having. Yeah. I, I really feel sorry for the parents of this generation, you know, I mean, and I went through it too, but, but you just try to take their phone and the kid just goes ballistic. I mean, it's such an over the top reaction. I'm sure you hear that a lot. Just, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's this entitled, you know, defiance that I think has changed. Right. So that could kind of in the behavioral side, but the emotional part is for them, it's really real. And I hope that the listeners can pick up on that. Like they are panicking. They are actually having an emotional breakdown. And so I think that if a parent doesn't recognize that and they, they discount that, um, that escalates the situation even further. Yeah. So you talked about moods dependent on technology. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, I think that if you look at how um, kids are quote unquote connected today, right? There's a lot of argument in kind of the tech world about that today, that, that technology has allowed them to feel more connected to people that are like them. I think that that can be true in some respects, but it also actually is impacting and controlling their mood and how they actually interpret themselves. And that's the part that I worry about is that there, there's so much kind of self concept, self-esteem, control over it, that if they're not getting the right response, that mood is dependent on that external validation. And we're losing that piece of our kids that need to really kind of internally accept themselves instead of like having a bunch of people that are managing like whether or not they like them or not, because that's what controls and makes that mood dependent. Yeah. Like when I was growing up, if you sent me to my room, you know, I would usually be safe because it's, you're in your room and, and now parents, if, especially if they have any kind of device, kids are not safe anymore in their rooms, in their own homes. I mean, it's a great point. I mean, I think a lot of the self-harming, like the suicides, like all of those situations, like they're happening behind closed doors. And it really is a testament to the fact that there is no safe kind of downtime for our kids when they have a device. So unless we build that in for them as a parent and we go in and we create that, um, that rule or those kind of boundaries of like, there is no technology in here. Um, there's no reason technology needs to be in a bathroom. I like uh, fundamentally draw a hard line there. Um, but you know, like if you look at a lot of the videos when I integrate or I'm um, immersed with like internet crimes against children task force and, you know, either in a state or a federal level, a lot of the times the content that I, that we're getting as evidence is behind a bathroom and is in a bathroom because mm. kids know they can go in there and have privacy. Mm. So, you know, you really do have to have conversations with your kids about the why that we don't allow that. And it's for their protection as well as, as your own kind of peace of mind as a parent to know that you, that you've created at least a dialogue around that. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't think about the bathroom not being safe anymore, but that's true. 
Yeah. I mean, that's typically where clothes are coming off and dances are occurring. (laughs) There's lots of things that shouldn't be happening in there. You know? Oh my gosh. Okay. So interpersonal symptoms, what are some of those? Yeah. So like, I think that when you, when you're looking at the, the issues with kids, like they're trying to identify, and I'm going to answer this a little bit more globally, because it is a lot, there's a lot of different reasons here, but those interpersonal reasons or development of self is what we're talking about there. So, you know, children don't know who they are until they discover themselves and discovering themselves means trial and error. It means putting themselves out there in the real world. And when you have kind of a one-way flow of content coming in, right now, I don't think that we address this in the book, but there's like this parent alienation kind of pause that's going out right now where it's really not cool to be close to your parents and that your parents are kind of um, managing you as their own product. Um, Things like that is kind of the messages that are coming across. Those children, right, from an interpersonal standpoint, aren't able to develop who they want to be, like who they they define as themselves. They're they're looking at influencers or they're looking at, at content that peers putting out there. So those interpersonal challenges that they're having really are about giving your kids opportunities to develop themselves. And when you see them struggling with that, a lot of times you'll see them, you know, missing the boat, not sure, feeling insecure, having high levels of anxiety. Um, those are the things that you want to look at and, and understand that those need to be developed out a little bit more deeply. Yeah. So let's talk about video games. So one thing that you brought up about some tips for parents, which I just have heard about in my practice just recently, but you said to turn off any app purchases and keep credit cards protected. Yes. I, I mean, I, I can't tell you the, I mean, I don't know if you've come across this in your practice, but the number of parents have come in and it, and it really is kind of a win it at all costs kind of thing in order to stay competitive. The gaming industry is brilliant at their ability to really kind of ping and nudge and push kids into these places where, you know, you're not going to be competitive or be able to keep up with your friends unless you're kind of buying like little advantages in the game, which again, like goes back to you and I know kind of a self-worth issue. And so if kids are feeling like they're a failure, maybe academically or socially, and now they're feeling like a failure in their gaming community, it's just like kind of this trifecta of like, of loss and failure it really doesn't give them any sort of, you know, sense of well-being and you know, social strength uh, and resilience that they need. Yeah. I had a sleep expert on my podcast. And one of the things that he talked about that I thought was so brilliant, but of course he's a sleep expert, is that often the kids are gaming, you know, up till late at night, which the gaming increases the dopamine to high levels. And when there are natural ebb and flows of dopamine, but if it's at a high level, I mean, your kids can't go to sleep. Right. Right. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's a great point. And I think it, parents are so naive to that, particularly at young ages where they're like, they're getting up after parents go to bed and sneaking in and game, you know, putting a headset on, which I also have a fundamental issue with. I don't think headsets are healthy, but I think that those kids, um, you know, and I, and I tell parents at night, I said, turn off your routers, right? Like unplug the router, take it in. If you have a problem with this, because it's really the only way you're going to be able to, um, get the kids to stop if they have access, because they will find a way to engage. 
And he said, like, and especially because of the blue light will wake you up. So do that in the morning <laughs> before school. <laughs> right, right. Much better time. Yes. Yes. All right, let's move into pornography. So those statistics are really depressing. And I, I know quite a bit, but I didn't know some of these statistics that 64% of all young people ages 13 to 24 look at porn once a week, that children under 10 now account for 22% of porn consumptions for the under age 18 category. Don't... It's a little scary. Yeah, I, I think that... Yeah, I mean, I think that the listeners, like average age, I think is eight in the United States of first porn viewing and chronic viewing begins at 11. So the pandemic obviously has really amplified and exacerbated it because kids were handed devices really with, you know, the impression that they were going to use it for academic purposes. But most of those academic institutions didn't have any sort of firewalls or protections on it because those firewalls and protections actually only exist within that, the setting at the school, which I think a lot of people didn't realize. So when those devices came home and they were handed out in the home environment, there was no protections that were on there and parents were, they weren't aware it was, mm. it was kind of an emergency use authorization on technology. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a heavy lift to unwind that and start to have kind of honest conversations with what that's going to do to our kids long-term because it is going to impact them. You know, I just, you know, compassion for you moms out there. I just, you just don't think your eight-year-old is going to be vulnerable to pornography. You really don't. I mean, it, it, it is more powerful. And this is one of the things that I talk about sometimes is um, that the porn industry is more powerful than the gun lobby was tenfold. Mm. Um, I mean, they're lobbying and looking for consumers and they have so many different touch points in these advertisements. Um, and, and we really don't have, I mean, I was, you know, weighing in on the, the testimony recently on the, you know, the Senate hearings. Anytime I can get, get a conversation going about like what the tech industry is and isn't doing, they are not regulating the advertisement to illicit sex. And the fact that our kids have access to YouTube or have access to things that even from an academic standpoint, they're being asked to look at for, you know, history purposes or research or things like that. They know, and and predominantly that eight-year-old group, the most that they're being exposed to is when you start doing that historical figure research. So if I'm looking up um, Ponce de Leon, because that's who I was assigned as a second grader, oftentimes those sex ads are attached to those historical figures because they know kids are looking at them uh, because it's part of the assignment. That's how uh, that's how invested they are at grabbing our kids' attention. So it is not what you have done or haven't done as a parent. It is purely the predatory nature of the porn industry going after their young consumers, and they are doing it in a very, very aggressive way. Uh, all right, so... What are some strategies for combating internet pornography with your children? Well, A, I think that if you have parental controls on your devices and on your laptops, I think that that's really important because you can kind of lock down content and there's there are tools that are out there. The problem is, is those tools and how the industry manages them changes. So when they have updates, obviously they turn off those 
those management tools. So as a parent, you kind of have to always be vigilant. But I think that that my my biggest piece of advice for parents is to talk to your kids as if this was talking about how um, you think it's important for them to eat fruit, fruits and vegetables, right? The reason why it's difficult to talk about pornography is because pornography is is attached to sex, and sex is attached to areas in our society that we find taboo. Uh, in Europe, you tend to see less issues with it with kids because mm-hmm. they're less taboo about it, right? They're more open about kind of sexuality. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just have to go to European beach and everybody's topless, right? Like it's not, <laughs> it's not unusual <laughs> over there. Um, yeah. So it demystified <clears throat> in a lot of ways. So I think that the number one thing I would tell parents is you have to yourself kind of reconcile that this is going to be a part of our future and our communications and our conversations long-term. And if you can start early talking to your kids, like this is just part of society. This is why we as a family feel X, Y, and Z. I'm not here to tell parents what they should say about it, but you know, in our family, I say, you know, like sex is, you know, food, water, and sex are all primal drives. You're not going to get anybody to to avoid those things but here's some boundaries right on food and here's some boundaries on like why you need to hydrate and here's some boundaries on sex like those are conversations that should be pretty equal in a family and they just we haven't kind of culturally decided that that's important but once you empower kids to understand the dangers they will follow suit and they'll understand yeah I love that and I also think especially teens they do respond to looking at cultural trends. So like with pornography, talking about how that's connected to child trafficking and because, you know, they don't think about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, people, when you use the word trafficking, they think it's just like some mysterious like van grabbing children and like taking them into like nefarious places. But trafficking is merely like forcing or coercing or by threat having someone do something that they don't want to do. So trafficking, actually, even just getting a child in a situation where they're compromised. And so here's a simple case where a child was asked for a picture. She went in the bathroom, took a picture of herself, sent it to somebody who she thought was interested in her as a boyfriend or something. You know, I can't remember the terms of like how they got the picture. But once they had the picture, then they started threatening her to tell her family to go to her school and share these this indecent picture with her friends. And then they forced her into a kind of a, this longer term situation where she was merely having and being forced to give illicit materials to this demand um, under threat. And that's trafficking. That child mm. is being trafficked for sex mm. materials. So it doesn't mm. have to be, and I think that that's really important for your parents to understand. Yes. That's why trafficking is such a huge issue right now. Wow. I'm so glad you clarified that. I've seen that a lot, just not to that degree, but, you know, girls who are seventh, eighth, ninth grade are kind of bullied into sending a picture and, and then they're threatened and then they don't, then they're paralyzed. They don't know what to do. So I've seen a, on a smaller level, but it, Yeah. And that's what's important, I think, because that smaller level can lead to in-person demands, right? And so if they know they've emotionally beaten down that child long enough, or they actually convince that child that, you know, look, like, we know that this is not who you are, I'll come take care of you. And it can even be that kind of grooming that occurs where they're like, we get it, your parents aren't going to understand, they're awful people. And that's where that alienation happens. And they're offering them, you know, free 
place to live or free drugs or those kind of things. And that's when it goes, it kind of transfers into that in-person mm. trafficking. But trafficking merely is somebody in a sexual way having to do something that they don't want to do. And that's where I think that your parents, like understanding like how quickly that can happen. It is terrifying to me, the cases that I am seeing and how often this is occurring to just normal neighborhood kids um, that are our kids and our friends. So, so yeah. So when you talk about the importance of connection, which of course is what my work is all about is you want to uh, be able to keep those avenues open to your kids so that, for, first of all, you can help your kids figure out what to say or what to do when they're in those situations. And just absolutely. So the education, like this is what's happening. Here's what you can do. Please, you know, contact me. You don't have to be ashamed. We'll figure it out together. Because a lot of the girls that I talked to who sent pictures, they said, I just didn't know what to do. Right. And it's okay to say no. I mean, this is like back to the, you know, Nancy Reagan's like, just say no campaign (laughs) with drugs. Right. Yeah. Um, But, but I think that that it goes back to, you know, to me, like I actually, for my kiddos in my practice, I have a screenshot on my phone that I airdrop to all of my clients. If I go and speak in a school, I airdrop it. But if you get a statute for where you're from, um, and that statute says here, it's illegal to solicit child pornography. And I, and I screenshot it and I sent it to him. I said, if anyone ever asks you to send you a picture, just send them the screen, send them your image, your photo. And so it's, it's terrifying for them, right? Like they instantly get dropped from everything. And they, they, that child never gets bothered again because, because they're sending them like the statute that legally it's not okay to ask for me. Oh, that's so so. great. I love it. I love it. All right. So cyberbullying, again, where I think this was so helpful is, is how you defined it. So there's some things that you defined that I didn't think about. I mean, when you named it, I was like, well, yeah, of course. So can you name some of the different types of cyberbullying? Oh, I don't know. Like there's so many, I don't, like, I don't have okay. a book in front of me. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you. I, <laughs> I feel like it's a pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I hate that when people do that to me. I'm like, what did I write? I don't I know. <laughs> okay. You, you wrote, um, outing and doxing. What is that? Yeah. So when you out someone or dox someone, it's like, basically like you have a secret that they have, and then you share it, you spread it like just school wide. And so it's, it's basically taking any private information and like spreading it outwardly. Okay. And masquerading. Masquerading is pretending to be someone you're not. So you create a false account and then you go in and you try to pretend to befriend someone in order to get like intel or information or make fun of them later. Mm. Flaming, fraping. What was the second one? Fraping. Oh, fraping. So flaming or fraping, that's like basically when you're going out and you're creating a bigger situation than there was. So like to me, like in a bully, you've got a victim, you have a bully, and then you have bystanders. Basically, the bystanders are friends usually of the victim, and they come in and they actually start to interact and they start to like engage with the bully and create like a larger, so that's flaming, like you're you're creating a bigger issue in that situation, sometimes called raping. Okay. Dissing and trolling. So, you know, again, like two different things, but like trolling is basically you're only going in kind of like hunting people down in order to cause problems, like... 
I'm sure, I don't know if, if you have, but I've been trolled many a times. Um, so I just don't read comments anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Anything I do. <laughs> um, and dissing is, is a, a type of trolling, right? Like you're just going in and you're like trying to like make that person feel bad about themselves, putting down what their opinion is and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. So how can teens stand up to cyberbullying? A lot of times it's like it's you educate them on the process and kind of the dynamics of cyberbullying, meaning understanding a that there are legal statutes in every state on any sort of like cyber crime and cyber tro- like typically it's under a cyber harassment statute. But anytime you're going after someone and you're trying to intentionally inflict emotional distress or pain, then it's you can pretty much guarantee you have a statute against it at this point in any state that you're listening in on. But teaching the kids what that means, right? So. So if I have somebody who I've got a girl and she's got somebody who's interested in her and they're sending her a message and she's not responding because she's not interested and they're 17, 18, 19, that's, that's harassment, electronic harassment, and that can be bullying, right? So now you've got three people like coming in and saying like, why aren't you answering Colleen? Why isn't she right? You know, so now you're getting kind of bullied to like engage with this group of now bigger people. Now you're complicit in a crime of cyberbullying in that situation. So I really truly believe if we have conversations with kids about boundaries, having respect and appreciation and understanding what it is that's appropriate communications and inappropriate communications, they won't engage in it. But unless we define it for them, you hand them a device and you say, go have at it, like they, they don't know the boundaries. So we just have to kind of back backtrack a bit and just teach them like what is okay and what isn't okay in that. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to what you said in terms of talking to your kids is... I'll hear teens talk about they're sitting with their friends and they're looking at pictures on Instagram and they're making fun of people. Mm -hmm. And these teens will tell me in secret, like that really bothers me, but they don't say anything. They don't know what to say. This is where you can talk to your teens. And sometimes your teens just don't know what to say. They freeze up. And this is where you can help them find words and how to take a stand and not, you know, how your silence confirms the bullying if you don't say anything. It's a super good point. I, I think it's kind of teaching that golden rule, right? And yeah. maybe more hip terms and <laughs> how we talk about it um, with them is really like, you know, treat others how you want to be treated. And if they're doing it to someone else, it's like, dude, like, are you, are you going to be doing this to me when you're, when I'm not around? So being able to kind of call someone out um, on that, I think is important. It's a, it's great point, important skill to teach your kids. Yeah. So you're involved with all of this at a very high level. So what do you see? What are some things that are frustrating you right now? And then we'll get back into hope. Yeah, um, I think my biggest frustration is where parents don't feel that they have the power or the ability to say no and draw lines. It's frustrating to me to have all the science that shows it does cause significant issues with um, social, emotional well-being. It creates physical and neurological like changes in their brain. Like there's all of this information that says these things are bad. And yet parents say, yeah, but everybody's doing it. So I'm going to do it. And, and I, I, I get it. Like I've got a 13 and a 14 year old and neither of them have social media and I'm the worst parent in the world. And I, (laughs) and I absolutely don't understand anything. Um, 
But I also have those moments where my kids come to me and say like, oh my God, I'm so thankful I don't have it because X, Y, and Z happened. And I see that my kids are just at a pace and a anxiety level that's much lower than their cohorts um, in many ways. So, you know, I think it's, it's that balance of like knowing that, you know, it's not your job to be your kid's friend. It's your job to parent and you wouldn't let them eat, you know, a dozen donuts every morning for breakfast. Um, at least most of us, I think listening to your podcast wouldn't do. <laughs> so I think that we have to also look at it in, in those terms and say, this isn't healthy for them. And so we need to have boundaries around it. And this is my job as a parent to do. So that's my, that's my biggest frustration is yeah. just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Yeah. And it is hard. I just, I see so many moms that are just, and dads that are just exhausted and just feel beaten down. And I mean, you know, my parents had it a lot easier just not having to deal with, with this, especially because I need this to get my homework done. Right. I can't give you my laptop or my phone because then I'm going to fail my class. I mean, so they're, they're smart about fighting with you, right? Right. Yeah. They're very resourceful. They have a (laughs) thousand reasons for everything, but I mean, there's no reason that you shouldn't be a secondary face ID on your kids' devices. There's, you should know all of their passwords and you should have parental controls on what they download and what they don't download. And there's really no excuse nowadays not to be able to go into their history and look at what they've been looking at. Again, it's onerous and it's difficult for parents. Trust me, I get it. That's the hardest part. And the frustration on my part is like, I'm telling parents, like, not only are you going to do your full-time job, now you're going to do a full-time job as a parent and you're going to become a tech expert. That's a lot. That's a lot for a parent to take on. So I, you know, again, like that's why I do what I do is try to make that easier, try to give tools, tips, advice. Kim Commando is like probably my like hero in that space. And I would never try to compete with her, but she, you know, she often gives out content on kind of the tech part of it. I'm not a techie, but I definitely am, am somebody who understands the psychology of how tech infiltrates our world. <laughs> Yeah, as you were talking, it made me think about like if you have like a little toddler, you put them in front of some Disney movie so you can get stuff done. So I think sometimes, you know, as parents, we are really busy. So if they're engaged in something, they're not yelling, they're not in our face, we kind of think they're good. And unfortunately, that's not true anymore. I really, really would recommend parents to get this book because it's full of amazing information, but also a lot, a lot of strategies that we weren't able to get to today. Yeah, I mean, I, again, like I, my first book was Unplug, I think Raising Kids in a Technology Addicted World. And that was like 85 pages, I paid, or 90 pages maybe. I wrote it for my parents in my practice. I was just like, here, take this. It's like a super quick primer. Um, and the feedback I got was like, pretty like basic information and we need you to dive deeper. So that's what digital Mm -hmm. distress is. And I tried to control some of the mechanisms by self-publishing so that I could get it to people if they needed to and all of those kind of things. So thank you for that. Again, like I think that it's going to take all of us (laughs) to get to the other side to understand this issue. So is there any hope There's a lot of hope. I think, you know, again, like you, you're in this field with me. We work with kids all the time. Kids actually want to be part of the solution. Uh, I can say that when I go out and speak pre-pandemic, I haven't done it obviously in a long time, but when I'm with the kids themselves and I start to explain to them 
the kind of the unilateral approach of the tech industry in terms of taking their data and using them as a product basically to get what they need. They get irate and they, I, you know, I had a school that had 600, it was a private school. And so 600 out, I think out of 1100 kids all came together on Valentine's day. They all canceled their Snapchat accounts at once. And they sent a message and said, we love ourselves more than your product. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, there's hope, you know, if we teach them and we give them the the ability to know that they can control the narrative. uh, I think my biggest issue with parents is tell your kids that they are part of the largest cohort in history, that they have power as a technology consumer to make these changes that need to happen. And once we educate them, I think that they're going to be an unstoppable force. I completely agree with you. I think education is key because if it stays in the kind of the realm of power struggle, it's just going to exhaust you and it's not going to be great for the relationship. But if you really approach it from education, I think your kids will wise up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I have a K through 12 program called DC Digital Citizen Academy. And I can tell you, I've put thousands and thousands of kids through that program and every single one of them on the other side has come out and just said, I didn't know, I didn't get it. And now I get it. And the biggest narrative that I can say, particularly with like the older kids is giving them voice, right? Letting them have part of the discussion on maybe how the the media portrays certain things that are occurring in our society. Let them have voice and decision-making and start the conversation or help them prompt that conversation for them. Because I think that as parents, we struggle with like being relevant at a certain age that, you know, (laughs) our kids aren't really interested in what we have to say anymore. Right. Um, But when that happens, peers become interested in having, you know, a a space. And if we can get them talking with a few little nudges here and there on what they need and should be talking about, that's where my hope falls is because I know that they will do it and they, they will be good stewards of our future if we allow them to understand that they have that power. I love it. That's great. Well, Lisa, if people want to contact you, how could they do that? And where, where could they find this book? So the book is on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way to find it or my website. Um, the easiest way to find me, uh, asklisa.com is my website. I do ironically have social media that I typically just send out information for parents and for, for you know people on that. Um, I'm not super active on it, but all of my handles are as Dr. Lisa Stroman. And I, I put information out, share information that I think is important for us to all be a part of as it comes. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. I'm so thrilled that you had me on. And thank you for what you do and your books and everything you do for your clientele as well. Because like I said, it's an act of courage and faith to to come into this community and, and be a voice of reason sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Thank you again. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com 
and that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.